Good morning. My name's Chad Vincent. I'm the uh, community group pastor here at Fellowship Bible Church. Uh, before that, I was a uh, student pastor for 10 years here. So I had this job here for five years. So if you're new, um, welcome. You probably see me a lot of times at the door uh, greeting you, saying hello. But I want to tell you a little, this summer for our family has been a little bit of a rites of passage. Uh, my oldest son just got his driver's permit. And if uh, you're a parent, you don't think you have control issues until your son starts driving. And you're like, break! You're like, you know, you're, you're, just, you're just going crazy, taking the curve too fast, slow down! And so all of, he's doing a better job to the fence driving than I am being a coach. But I was driving, trust me on that one. But as you go into the DMV, and I apologize if you do work there, no friends that work there, but... Woo! Went to a DMV at 8 o'clock, 7.30, 8 o'clock, you know, and I'm thinking a couple hours would be good. Well, you know, five hours later, we finally had a driver's permit. It was like the movie Zootopia. If you ever seen the movie Zootopia with the sloth? So your name is Owen. O-W-E. So you get the point. That's how it was for our lovely morning at the DMV. But what caught my attention was to get your driver's permit, all you have to do, and I don't know why it dawned on me that you have children, but all you have to do is pass a knowledge test. To get your driver's permit, all they do to these kids is give them a knowledge test, and then you're out driving this all up on the parent or the garden to teach them how to drive. And so I'm like, seriously? No wonder I'm having a heart attack here. And that's what I thought about when it comes to community. I thought about if I gave you the word community, I bet you you would ace it. You would probably, some of you, tell me the Greek word for koinia, Chet, is our fellowship or community is koinia. You, you would probably tell me that it means life together. You would, you would expound on these truths of um, being together and uh, loving each other and praying each other. And you would be able to intellectually tell me that. But here's what we know, just like my son is learning. It's one thing to know something intellectually. It's another thing to experience it emotionally and relationally. And that's what my son is learning with driving. He starts too fast. I got whiplash. He brakes too hard. He turns the, the curve too fast. It's not because he's malicious. He doesn't mean to, but he doesn't have the what? The experience. Great theologian Bill Withers said like this, lean on me when you're not strong and I'll be your friend. I'll help you carry. There you go. If you like the 80s, the, the sitcom Cheers says it like this. Sometimes you want to go to a place where everyone knows your name and they're always glad you. There it is. See? We say here at Fellowship Bible Church, together is better. And my fear of saying that is it just stays philosophical, it stays theoretical, and it doesn't really get down into our hearts. My fear for Bible Church, my fear for myself, is that we know a lot intellectually, but yet we apply a very small percentage of what we know. And so as we think about that this morning, that's what I want to drive us and push us to that this together is better, this community group piece, I know is so painful and so challenging and so rewarding, but I want to remind us that's how God created us, 
See, regardless if you're an extrovert or an introvert, regardless how you score on an Instagram, regardless of your story, regardless of where you are, if you know how to do community, it doesn't matter. We're all called to live in community. We're all called to experience it. It does no good in our hearts if all we make it is some intellectual exercise where I regurgitate knowledge to you and espouse truth to you that I know intellectually but do not apply. And we're all guilty of that, and that's why we're thankful for grace. So as we begin this morning, I want to go to a familiar passage, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23 through 24. And as you turn in there, I just want to reiterate, when Adam and Eve were created in the garden, a perfect system, God gave them each other. And then God just didn't give them each other. He also gave them himself. Just to support my, my assumption, my theory, my command, my, my heart to you that this is biblical. Even though it's challenging, it's difficult, this is where true life is found. Look with me and let's read. Verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who is promised is faithful. Verse 24, and let us consider how to stir one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Well, let's first talk about the goal of community. What is the goal of community? And the writer of Hebrews gives us two goals. You'll find them in verse 24. To love God, to do good works. Well, to love God, we get that what Jesus taught about the great commandment, right? Two great commandments. Love your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Then he goes on and says, love each other, right? So first, we want to start with love. When, when he talks about love, what type of love is he describing? See, we got to make sure we define love, because love can be like community. It can be a buzzword we have many definitions for. What love is here is agape love. This is agape love. This is a delight. This is something I cherish an affection for. And the object of agape love, just so you're clear, is God. See, God is the object of love. When I love God, I love like God. And this is how God loves. God doesn't forsake me. God doesn't abandon me. God doesn't change. God is good. God is gracious. God is kind. And I love like that. That's the first thing that happens. I have to experience this relationally with God. And when I experience this relationship with God, the writer doesn't stop there. He says, then what you do is you got to move and you got to love each other like I have loved you. We love God because he first loved us. Okay? So we understand that. So once we get that, we got to then turn and we love others the same way. But here's the deal. Hi, I'm Chad. I'm a people pleaser. You go, hey, Chad. See? That's the problem with my heart. See, I somehow got this love from God, and then when I turn to love others, I'm such a people pleaser. 
I want to desperately love them, but instead of loving them, I, I use them and I manipulate them because I want them to think that I'm a nice guy. I want their approval. I want their acceptance. I want their applause. And I'll never forget, in seminary, I had to write a paper on people-pleasing. And the professor at the bottom of my paper put one word, P-R-I-D. I don't recommend you doing it for anyone else, but he confronted me and says, pride. Pride is driving you in this area. But see, it's not this overt pride, in-your-face pride. It's this subtle pride that I have got to stop using people for my own. I've got to love as God loves and God loves with no strings attached. And I don't know about you, but the problem with the world is the people in the world. They're hard to love. They're extremely difficult to love. And so when I turn to try to love people, that's what I catch myself doing. And then when I'm confronted with that, I, I begin to change. But I begin to change in the context of community. So then not only do we stop and say, hey, we want to love people well, not use and manipulate people. Ed Welch says like this, love people more. Ed Welch in his book, When God is Small, People Are Big. Love people more, need them less. Because you got all you need in Jesus. See, if we really, really believe Jesus is enough, Jesus accepts me, Jesus approves me, I have nothing to prove. But I catch myself, and I don't know about you, in, this, in my head trying desperately to be aware of that, but at the same time, just getting stuck. So he didn't stop there by saying, love like God loves. He goes on and says, and do good works. When Paul says, or the writer of Hebrews, my apology, when writer of Hebrews says, do good works, we see this throughout the scripture. He says, for we are his workmanship, in Ephesians 2.10, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, prepared beforehand that we may walk in them. To do good works, prepare beforehand that we may walk in them. And see, here's the connection we've got to make. This good works is an overflow of the love I've received from God. And so then when I turn and do good works, when I turn and do good works, something divine, something divine and special is happening. Because I'm not trying to prove myself. I'm not trying to earn heaven. I'm not trying to be accepted by God. I said, look how good I am. That was done at the cross. That's what Jesus came. When I'm turned to good, do good works, it's an expression. It's an overflow of my life of God. And so Paul says, don't compartmentalize your life into secular and sacred. See, if you grew up like I grew up and, and you got Christian, like I got Christian, it's all about coming to church. It was all about being a good person. So when I'm confronted with good works, I have a lot of baggage with that word good works. Because in my mind, that means go to church, go to community group, go to church activities. And what the writer is saying is that's part of it, but you got to get deeper into the motivation of why you're doing the good works. And once you get to the motivation, once you get to the heart of why you're doing the good works, you begin to overflow and begin aware of, oh, I'm loving like God loves, so I do good works like God does good works. Not trying to earn, not trying to appease, trying to love. 
And it might sound simple to you, but from my mind, that's not simple. I want to compartmentalize my life. And so when you do go to work, you're doing good works. When you're going home, you're doing good works. It's a lifestyle. Community is a lifestyle. But we so often want to just see it as another thing to check off a list and to say, I feel better about myself because I'm doing good works. Now, here's the thing. Let me just be real practical, especially in the area of community. What's the greatest thing you can give someone? When we talk about good works, what's the greatest thing you can give someone? See, I would argue the greatest thing you can give someone, especially in our day and time, is your presence. It's your time. It's getting you on my calendar. And I don't know about you, but when I go out with my wife, those rare date nights we do have, I love to watch people. So I can't sit, I can't sit by a door, because I'm always doing this. I can't sit by a TV, because I'm always doing this. And then she grabs my face and says, look at me. Yes, ma'am. Because I'm always just distracted, looking, hey, hey, how you doing? Good to see you. Oh, oh look, at that, look at this girl here. See, and she's saying, look at me, because what she wants is my presence. She wants to know I've got skin in the game. She wants my undivided attention. She wants eyeball-to-eyeball contact that says, hey, I'm with you. And when I'm doing good works, I can empathize in the valley, and I can celebrate on the mountaintops. But so oftentimes, it gets distracted, and we have to recalibrate, we have to take our head, and we have to say, look at me. And we have to make eye contact because this good work is in the context of relationships. So that's the, that's the end goal. The end goal is you want to, to love God, love each other well, and you want to do good works. Next, the intentionality of community. Did you notice the word in verse 24, and let us? It's easy to pass by. It's easy just kind of to breeze over. It's easy to go, I've heard that before. Consider. Underline it, highlight it, memorize it. Consider, make note of it. This word consider means to ponder, to meditate, to be premeditative, to be deliberate. See, this, this act of community is going to take you being intentional. And that's what Paul is saying here. It carries with it a course of action. The writer is saying the context of the book, guess what's happened to the people? You, we have to understand the context of Hebrews to understand what's going on with the people because they're real-life people in real-life situations. And Hebrews 5 tells us they're still on milk when they should be on meat. They should be teachers, but they're students. So it tells us something. It tells us they've grown discouraged. They've grown to apathy. They've kind of just going through the motions. And then not only that, as it tells, it tells us this, it tells us their life is hard. They're facing persecution. Rome is coming after them, and on the throne of Rome is Nero. And he's a bad boy. And he's coming and he's attacking the Jewish people. And so when he says consider, see what happens? When I am in a situation with feeling pressure, when I'm in a situation of feeling like um, apathetic about what's going on, I'm delusional, it's hard to slow down. 
and think about what path am I on? Am I on the right path? What, pri what priorities do I have? Am I making first things first? And then it's hard to say, I might say no to something good to say yes to something better. Because I don't know about you, but I have one of these in my pocket, and you probably have one too. This thing wears me out. My wife is addicted to it. This phone wears me out. No, no, no lie. Because you got texts, you got emails, you got phone calls. So you start out in life with a telephone, right? You give your kid 13, 14, 15, 16, whatever telephone, right? And then your kid's going to go on his progression of life, I've learned, okay? Follow, stay, stay with me. Then you'll get you a girlfriend or a boyfriend, typically. That's how it goes, right? Then you'll get you a job. You follow me? Get you a job. You're going through life. You got your cell phone with you. You got your girl or your guy with you. You got your work, right? And then uh, here's what comes along next. Woo, those kids. And then we got all, all those kids come along. There's Owen, there's Griffin, there's Tate. Yeah, I love the kids, but they're they, 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 they tiring, right? So I got these three kids coming along. Now I, got, now I got my cell phone in my pocket, right? Got my cell phone. I got my woman, Laurie. I got my kids, Owen, Griffin, Tate, right? Going through life. I got work. Then guess what happens? Something's going to break down. It always breaks down at the wrong time. You go to the tire place. He says, you, don't, you need four new tires. You need new brakes. So you leave the tire place, spend $850, right, on your tires. See? So that's, see, something's always, so my question is, when do you stop to consider? In the midst of all the busyness, when do you have time to stop and consider? And I don't think I'm an anomaly. I think I'm probably pretty common. I'm not special at all. So that's your life. And you're on this treadmill of life going, whoo, I'm tired. And you get burnt out and you get exhausted. So when do you have time to consider and take care of yourself? To be intentional. Because the first thing that goes a lot of times is the best things for you. Because we're just trying to get things done in task mode and we forget we weren't just created to be intellectual beings. We were created to be emotional creatures to experience connection with a human being, not a screen. And when we put life on the screen, we can put whatever we want to put out there. I can tell you my life is great. I'm wonderful. Me and Laura are doing great. Look at us. Woohoo! And we might be dying inside, but no one will know if I don't stop and consider and look in the mirror and saying, do I like what I'm becoming? Because life is overwhelming. And these people understand that. They grew apathetic. So that's the part of consider. As we think about consider, here's the great hope we have. He's going to give us a strategy. The author's going to give us a strategy to community. Look at verse 25. Here's the strategy. Not neglecting to meet together as some are in the habit of doing, but encourage each other as you see the day approaching. So the writer's going to give you community is a habit. Basic definition. What is a habit? Well, a habit is something we do what? Over and over and over and over again. We do it frequently. We do it so much, it's second nature. It becomes who we are. It becomes a lifestyle. And that's the beauty of community. So you have to ask yourself a question here. Did you catch it? Why were they neglecting meeting together? What was going on that made them stop meeting together? Can I tell you what happened? Life got hard. 
Life got difficult. Life got unmanageable. And the first thing that went out of their schedule is community. The first thing they hit Egypt on was relationships with people. How God wired them, how God made them, how God created them to be fully known and deeply loved. Fully known and deeply loved. And the first thing they hit Egypt on was life is hard. Bye-bye community. Bye-bye relationships. I don't have time for that. I'm a busy person. They stopped showing up. And I'll tell you why they stopped showing up. Because you know why? Nero set fire to Rome, and he blamed the Christians. Peter and Paul are getting martyred for their faith. That's difficult to watch your friends be killed, to experience that, to hear that. And soon the temple of Jerusalem, 78 AD, is going to be destroyed. No wonder these people gave life got hard. And as soon as life got hard, they said, isolation. I'm just going to back up, protect myself, protect my family, and be done because I will not get hurt again. And when we do that, when we do the natural drift to isolation, we believe in self-sufficiency. And this lie tells us I have everything I need to be what I'm supposed to be. Everything I need to be what I'm supposed to be and do what I'm supposed to do. And every time we don't reach out for help, every time we say, especially in the South, I'm okay and we're really not okay, we believe this lie. We believe this lie of self-sufficiency. And it whispers in our ear, you got this. You can handle it. You're smart enough. You're good enough. You can do it. You got this. Go do it. You don't need anybody. They'll let you down. We hear the voices in, the, in our head. And we hear these, these, that's these fears. And these fears are common for me. Fear of exposure. What if you really knew? Would you really love me? I mean, I can do this. Thanks for the encouragement. But what if you really knew what was going on in my house? Would you be there with me? Would you love me? When it's just Chad, not Pastor Chad, not Preacher Boy Chad, not Community Group Pastor Chad, just Chad, would you love me? Would you be there with me? Fear of rejection and fear of being hurt. And that's my last one, is my Achilles heel. I hate getting hurt. I'm so tender and so loyal that the hurt just takes the wind right out of my cell. And you're not guaranteed you're not going to be hurt. And that's hard for my brain to reconcile. I have some good friends that I don't even talk to anymore. And it's painful. It's painful. It's the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. I've tried and tried and tried, and there's just nothing. Hurt. Do I back up? Do I deal with that? Do I walk into that? Do I embrace that pain? Or do I just stay busy? Hang on, something special is going to happen. I promise you, something special is going to happen. Here it is. In 25b, let us encourage one another. Here it is, guys. Here's the, here's the icing on the cake. Here's the good news. 
When you're in community, you get to do the gift of encouraging one another. And here's what you get to do. When you show up, if you'll just show up in the room, in the relationship, if you'll be present, you get to do this. When someone is talking to you, just please get this relational skill. Don't try to fix them. If you're married, hopefully you get this by now. Laurie hates it. She comes home from a hard day, and I go into fix-it mode, and she's like, shut up, and just, shut up. See, that's my wife for you. I don't know how your house works. I'm just telling you the truth. I, I, I don't want to fix me. Don't fix me. See, she wants me to say, she wants me to say, get this, I see you. I hear you, and I'm not going anywhere. I see you, I hear you, and I'm not going anywhere. So please, when you're a community group and someone's d diving in some deep stuff, they're open up telling you about themselves, don't give them three points on how to walk with Christ. Please, don't cross-talk. Just be in the moment and say, ah, it's got to hurt. Don't go into counselor mode. My wife don't need me to be Pastor Chad. She needs to be Chad. My kids don't want me to go home and lecture them. My kids want me to go home and live this out and put my arm around them and say, hey, buddy, I'm with you. Dad is here, and we're going to get through this together. He don't need a three-point sermon. When you're a community group, you need to just connect and say, hey, I see you. I see you, and I hear you, and I'm not going anywhere. I'm right here with you. That's what we need. That's encouraging each other. That's strengthening each other. We don't need to crosstalk. Their problem probably isn't they don't know enough. They probably know some things. Trust me, they're, not, they're, they're very intelligent people. They just need to get it out and connect with someone and have someone be with them. So over 59 times, when God does this 59 times, there's probably something special happening here. Over 59 times, Jesus says, or Paul uses, the New Testament uses one another. So stay with me here, because I want to make sure you get this. This is the cross. So 59 times, he says, one another, one another, one another, as you see the day approaching. So here's my illustration for you. If I'm over here in community, and I'm taking one step, me and Joe and Sarah and Bill and Todd, and we're loving each other. Guess what we're doing? See what we're doing? We're taking one step to the what? See, the object is the gospel. We have to go back to the gospel. And when we're taking one step to love each other, we're going, hey, you know what? God loves you. I love you. One step to accepting one another. God accepts you. I accept you. One step to prayer, prayer one another. I pray for you. You pray for me. One step. See what's happening? If we keep moving along, we're stepping. We're confessing each other's sins. I'm confessing to you. I'm confessing to you. We're doing what? We're praying for each other. We're moving along this grid, and we're experiencing transformation in the context of community. Because we're looking not to each other for everything, but we're saying, hey, look what Jesus has done. Look what God has done for us. Look at the goodness of the gospel. And we see the goodness of the gospel, and we step in unison to that, and we confess, and we forgive each other. And we don't slander each other. Woo! that preach. You see what's going on here? We are changing. When we move this way in unison, something special, something divine is happening here. And it's making us change. And then what makes you change? You can begin to say the four hardest words in the dictionary. I need your help. 
The three hardest words in dictionary. I am sorry. The two hardest words in dictionary. Please forgive me. <laughs> yes. You do that because he's done that. That's what the gospel has done. Jesus has done that. And when Jesus does that, you live that out organically in a relationship. We've got to stop hurting people. They're already hurting. We've got to stop stepping together in unison and saying, hey, in this context of relationship, I am with you. And I do that not because I'm a good person, not because I've got some education, not because I know the Greek word for something. I do that because I experienced the gospel and it changed my life when someone accepted me and I didn't deserve it. I didn't earn it. I couldn't pay it back. I looked at Jesus and go, thank you, Jesus, for the gospel. And when I do that, I'm moved and I'm changed and I'm transformed. And that's the beauty of the gospel in the context of relationships. So why hit eject on that? Why would I ever want to hit eject on that? That is life-saving. And then the last part. My mic's falling off, sorry. The necessity. The necessity. One little word. Stir up. Do you see it there? Stir up. Verse 24. Let us consider how to stir up one another. This word stir up is when Paul and Barnabas were on the second missionary journey, and they wanted to include John Mark. But Paul says, wait a minute, Barnabas. John Mark left us last time. We're not including John Mark on this trip. And Barnabas says, excuse me? Yes, we are including John Mark on this trip because we believe in grace. We believe in second chances. Paul said, no, we don't. John Mark deserted me. I was out there working for the kingdom. He left me. He abandoned me. Barnabas said, uh. And they got into stir up a disagreement. Face got red, veins popping out, hearts pounding, and they're going at it. And that's what stir up means. See, stir up means to motivate, to stimulate. In a negative sense, it means, here it is, you'll get this, to irritate. Does someone ever just irritate you? And you want to go, stop it! Gosh, leave me alone! That's what stir up means. And so the only best analogy I can give you, because this relates to my story, stir up. I'm a son of a coach. And so since I was little, I've always been in the locker room. And I've heard all these motivational speeches. You love this. And it always starts with this. You love this. Bring it in, fellas. Bring it in. You know, you got your mom and your daddy. Always starts the same way. Got your mom and your daddy. Got your coaches. You got the brothers on this team. Excuse me, ladies. Ladies on this team, sure, lady. That's all you got. They trying to come in our house. They bigger, they're more talented, and they come in our house. And they trying to kick our uh, glutes maximus, honey. And, and you know what? Hey, we're not allowed to do this. And so when you get tired, fellas, you get tired, you look at your brother. Don't let your brother down. Because what we got on this team is we got love for each other. And we got love for each other, we can do a lot. And so when we love each other, it don't matter how talented we are. It don't matter how strong we are. 
It don't matter how fast we are. But tonight, we go to that field, you lay everything out. And you let them remember the night they played the Spartans. Woo! <laughs> and then our coach, he's crazy coach, he's had the back of his mouth, and he was, had this two-liter thing of water, and we all get in, we're like, woo! And then he would throw out the water around, woo! And I was like, whoa, coach! And then we'd be so excited. So here's, here's the analogy. That's, that's high school football. They're going to do that Friday night. My son's in a band. He's going to be playing that snare. Chili's be dancing. They're going to they're be running out, run out of a little uh, banner, fly through. Ah! That's football, high school football. They stir it up. See, Jesus should stir you up because when you get in the community and you look somebody in the eye, you're going to say, hey, bring it in. And we're not talking about Friday night football. We're talking about Jesus better. Jesus is the best and Jesus is greater. And you might be want to give up. You might want to give up right now. You might have no hope. But don't you waver because Jesus is never going to leave you. And on top of that, this group of people, no man left behind, no woman left behind, we're not going to let you go. And that's why I'm here this morning because someone stirred something up in me. And it didn't let me go. And I connected with people before I ever connected with God. They showed me this God. And they helped me get this God. And so this morning, take a moment to watch how we stir up in community groups. I realize that it's, it's risky when you put yourself into other people's lives. But Messi would describe the last year for us for sure, and uh, then more recently we experienced uh, a very difficult situation as if things weren't uh, hard and messy enough. Uh, my daughter Allison um, <clears throat> had a second trimester miscarriage and lost her identical twin sons, her, uh, our grandsons. And uh, the love of this group during what was an incredibly difficult time for us was just uh, overwhelming to us. Uh, the, the way that the group uh, prayed for us, checked on us, uh, you know, uh, I, I can't uh, go without mentioning Mark Martin and him just meeting our daughter Allison at the hospital one night at the emergency room. And, it just it made a huge impact on her and her friend. After the boys were born and you know, we were in such a time of sorrow and of course we still are, we will be, but you guys came together and made, you know, our quilt and we love it and we love you. There was a period of time when I started this group by myself mm -hmm. and I'm sure some of you guys remember that, um, Jason wanted to come to church, so Beatrice had a good Christian upbringing, but at the same time didn't believe in God, kind of thought it was a bunch of hooey. Um, and you guys prayed with me and walked beside me while Jason struggled with finding Christ. And a couple years ago, he did. Jack and I just moved here, you know, less than a year ago. and moved to the national areas of new state, new city, new jobs, new neighborhoods, and we kind of picked Murfreesboro just by kind of looking at a map and seeing what was available there. So we knew a couple people in the area, but we knew we weren't really going to be connected. Uh, so it was really nice to, to get connected to a small group and feel like you already have a community. We have 
some shared beliefs, some shared culture that is very nice to just be able to jump in and, and know that you know we'd be able to connect with people very quickly. And beyond that, you know, it's very easy just to, to show up for a small group meeting, just to be part of um, be part of the group. But when there's opportunities to do things for people, that's where that's where it takes it home for you. You know, you feel like you're contributing to other people and not just not just showing up. And especially recently, when Alan was saying about. You know, he went through, um, Nadia was in the hospital for a few days, and he stepped forward and said, hey, you know, if you have nobody to watch Alex, I'll be glad to watch Alex. That's the first time in 17 years since we've been dealing with Alex's disorder to anybody has normally known what we've gone through with Alex and this year, the seizures and what to do. He just went out and said, I'll be there for you if you need me. What a blessing that was, because that's never happened. And we've been amongst a lot of people before. And that was just the joy of which I told Nadi, we just kind of broke down and said, wow, that's the love of the group, that's the love of the Lord. Um, that had never happened before. Again, that was a biggie for us. You know, I mean, a big, big, big blessing. One thing that's really been a blessing for me in moving into the area, my love for sewing and... Of course, it's God that puts me in a group with other ladies that like to sew. Well, it's just been a, a blessing coming to a strange town, uh, not knowing anybody. When I first moved here, the only people that recognized me was the people at Publix and the guys at the recycling center. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I, that's, that was my contact. But, but, and then searching for churches and then landing here and then finding the group. It was a risk for me, too, because um, not just I don't have a husband, but I'm divorced. And I was very afraid to come into a community group where I felt that I was going to be judged. It is risky because you don't know when you first go in whether people are going to accept you or not. But now I feel real comfortable with, with you all. And I feel like if I share things, you're not going to judge me or condemn me. Who would ever have thought a year ago, five years ago, ten years ago, we'd be sitting here, you know what I mean, having fellowship, breaking bread, and yet saying thank you, Lord, for my friends and those I serve with. And as we transit the so what, here's what I want you to think about. What if they didn't step into that? See, what if that group didn't buy in? And they chose preferences over the gospel. I guarantee you, some of those people would not be in this church. They will hit eject on this church. And so I want you to think about during so what? If you're not in the community, come see me. I got plenty of time. Sign you up. If you are in the community, here's the question. Are you all in? Are you all in? Thank you.